Open your Bibles with me, please, this morning, once again, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look at a few verses we looked at together last week, Resurrection Sunday. How many of you were with us last Sunday? Oh, if you weren't here, we had a good time together. Easter's a good day to come to church. You know that, right? That's like the day everybody goes. And uh, man, we started something last week looking into the Word, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see where it's going. And our foundation for this new series we've begun is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to look at it again, and these are some of the most familiar verses to church people. But just because you've heard something before, don't let it pass you by. Because there's a difference between what you've heard and what you know. And as long as something from the Word just remains something you've heard, you can still be talked out of it. You can be talked out of it when you hear something else. And this is what the enemy is always doing. He's always coming to try to talk you out of the word that you heard. Didn't Jesus say that that Satan comes immediately to steal the word? Well, this is how he does it. He, He brings you what looks like evidence to the contrary. He'll bring before you a different way of thinking, a different opinion, one that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And if, even if a scripture is something you've heard a thousand times before, if it's not taken root in your heart and you've only heard it, then what Satan brings can talk you out of it. This is why the, these scriptures, whether they're familiar to us or new to us, we've got to meditate on them, church, until they get down deep on the inside They take root in our lives, spring up, bear fruit. That's when something goes from just being something you've heard to now it's something you know. And when the word of God is something you know, you can't be talked out of it. So let's look at some of these scriptures today and believe together that that's exactly what's going to happen in us, that these these words are going to come alive. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in... Verse 17, I bet you've heard this one before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. I get a sense somebody wants to read this out loud with me. You love it that much. Let's do it it together. Verse 17, start there again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Somebody tell me what happened to the old things things. have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Isn't that good news? If you are in Christ, can I see the hands of those who are in Christ? Well, the Bible says you're a new creation. And what happened to the old things, the old way, the old life, the old you, that sucker is dead and gone. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. He goes on in verse 18 to say, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I said to you just a moment ago, we all have a ministry. Just because you don't stand on a platform or behind a pulpit doesn't mean you're, in the, you're not in the ministry. Every one of us have been given a ministry. And what ministry is that? It is the ministry of reconciliation. We'll talk some about that today. 
He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, not imputing their sins to them. It's not a word we use very much, but it is a word that you see a lot through the New Testament, not imputing their sin. What does it mean? Not holding sin against us. Not holding it against us. We'll look at this here in just a moment, but David, uh, the the scripture records in Romans chapter four, something David said, he said, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, the person whose lawless deeds are forgiven whose sins God is not imputing to them. God's not holding sin against them. You know what David said that person is? Blessed. Blessed. Sometimes we look at material things, some, some good thing, some nice thing. I think, well, oh, that's such a blessing. Isn't this house a blessing? Isn't this job a blessing? Isn't this car a blessing? And that's fine and that's good, but no No material thing could compare to the blessing of not having your sin held against you. And David, we knew he stood in the office of the king, but spiritually he he operated in the realm of the prophet. And you go back through the Psalms particularly, and you find more than once, more than twice, over and over, he's looking into the future, into the day and hour that you and I live in. You remember when he said, what was it in Psalm 118? This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. You've heard that one. You've sung that one. We've sort of taken that to mean, well, you know, it's, a, it's another Tuesday. This is the day the Lord has made. And that's fine. But you go back and read that whole Psalm. It was prophetic, not pathetic, prophetic. He's looking forward into the future and the whole thing is about Jesus. And when he said, this is the day the Lord's made, this is the day I'll rejoice and be glad in. It's in that very same Psalm that he said, open to me the gate of righteousness and I'll go through it. Well, who is the gate of righteousness? Jesus is. So David's looking forward in time and saying, oh, That's the day. There's almost this, for lack of a better word, jealousy in his heart about the day that you and I live in. And he says, oh man, that day. That day when God does not hold man's sin against him. He's not imputing his sin to him. Thank you. And that's the day we're living in. And he called us blessed. And we've already said this just a minute ago. David was a rich man. David lived in a big house. David had a lot of nice things. But you know what? When he looked at you, he says, oh, man, you're the blessed one. You're the blessed one. Somebody say, I'm the blessed one. Why? Because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their sins to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, here it is. For he made him who knew no sin 
to be sin for us. Now say this part with me. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is our text for this new series that we're in. And if you weren't with us last week, let me catch you up. This series is called, What's Right With You? What's right with you? And I believe the Lord's leading us to call it that because we have been so trained by culture, so trained by our own flesh and our own natural senses to be able to identify in a moment's notice what's wrong with us. Have you ever noticed how easily and freely somebody can talk about everything that's wrong with them? That's a very loaded question and one you may not want to just ask any old person. Hey, what's wrong? <laughs> Do you have an hour? People are so good, which is probably not the right word for it, but they are so good at talking, identifying, naming quickly everything that's going wrong. Whether it's a pain in the body or a pain in the heart a pain in the relationship, some sort of financial insufficiency, some sort of anything in their life that's not right, that's wrong, man, they can name it for you like that. And people could make a laundry list of everything that's wrong with them. But you and I need to be thinking differently. And we need to know at a moment's notice and be able to say immediately what's right with us. What's right with you? Stop magnifying and meditating on everything that's wrong. Ask the Holy Spirit for this help. Say, Holy Ghost, set a watch over my mouth and help me identify when I'm just rehearsing and regurgitating everything that's wrong with me. Stop magnifying what's wrong and start magnifying what's right. Why? Because what's right with you can fix anything that's wrong with you. You will never fix what's wrong with you by meditating and magnifying what's wrong with you. Talking about the pain does not make the pain go away. Have you figured that out yet? But when you find out what's right with you, and I mean what's right with you right now. Not what will be right with you. Not what could be right with you. What's right with you now? And you might be looking at yourself going, there ain't nothing right with me right now. Well, aren't you glad to be here today? Because you're about to find out what's right with you. And what's right with you is way bigger than anything and everything that's wrong with you. And what's right with you can fix what's wrong with you. And according to this scripture, here's what's right with you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to it from the New Living Translation. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right. That's what righteousness means. It means made right. You have been made right. Now, he says here that it happened when Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin. Did Jesus go to the cross for his own sin? Did he ever miss it? Did he ever make a mistake? Did he ever tell a lie? Did he ever break his word? Did he ever do anything worthy of that condemnation? No. 
And because of that, he had to be made sin. It wasn't a sinful act that put him on the cross. It was being, understand me when I say this, recreated. He was recreated. You and I were recreated, but we went from death to life. He had to go from life to death when he was made to be sin. But because he was made to be sin, you and I could be made right. And just as he didn't sin to be made sin, you committed no acts of righteousness. You did not do one right or righteous thing, and yet he made you righteous. Somebody say it out loud. There's something right with me. Say it again. There's something right with me. If you look at it from the Amplified Bible, he expounds on what righteousness is. It says, through him we might become the righteousness of God. That means what we ought to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. This is what righteousness means. Right relationship. Right relationship. So, the simple answer to the question, what's right with you? You want to know what the answer is? Jesus is what's right with you. Jesus is what's right with me. Now, I'm going to lead you in a confession, but I have to warn you. The confession I'm about to lead you in takes more faith to say and more faith to believe than just about any other confession that, that you and I could make. The confession I'm going to lead you in requires more faith than a confession for your healing when you're sick, requires more faith than a confession of strength when you're weak, a confession of joy when you're depressed, a confession of abundance when you lack. The confession I'm going to lead you in right now is going to take all the faith you've got. You hear me? So I'm going to say it, but be warned. Can you say this after me? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That takes, that takes faith on a level that's hard to describe. Now, why do I say that confession takes more faith than a confession of healing or a confession of joy or strength or abundance? Because any confession of those things is empty and powerless if you don't believe this. If you don't believe that this is what's right with you, you'll never be able to fix what might be wrong. It all starts right here. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Why does that take so much faith? I'll give you one big reason. You've got eyes. And you see yourself, and you see faults, and you see things that aren't right, and you see mistakes, and you see things that are off, and yet he says you are the righteousness of God. And you have got to learn 
how to close these eyes on the outside, see with the eyes of your heart, and say what he says. This same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you want to know what he said just a few verses before this? For we walk by faith and not by sight. To declare that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is the highest walk of faith that there is. Because you are not living by what you see in yourself. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, I want you to do something as the Lord leads you this week. I want you to put those words in your mouth every day, over and over and over throughout the day. Now, I'm not going to give you some magic number, but what do you suppose would happen if you said, I don't know, over the next week, 10,000 times, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And it sounds, man, that that sounds kind of hard to do. I might just have to sit there and say it for a while. Well, number one, that won't hurt you. (laughs) But number two, if you will replace what you have been saying with that instead, you'll find, man, I could hit 10,000 by the end of the day (laughs) because we've been doing a lot of empty talk. Now, I've become accustomed to this, as many of you have in your life when something's not right. Uh, something hurts, you're in pain. You, we've been taught, and I, I hope you're doing this, that you confess the word of God over that and you confess your healing or, or when you're coming up short financially, you confess abundance. And those things are good. I want some mind renewal in us this week. So just for a few days, will you do this for me? Before you release that great confession of healing, do this instead. Pain shows up, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That is your confession of healing this week. Amen? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That is your confession of abundance and prosperity this week. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's your confession of joy. That's your confession of strength. That's your confession of restoration over your marriage and your family. That's your confession over anything in your life, especially anything that looks like it's wrong or out of place. What's your confession over that thing? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It'll help to renew your mind. I'm healed because I'm the righteousness of God in I'm prosperous in every area because I'm the righteousness of God. This is what's right with me. Amen. So what does it mean to be righteous? Let's talk just for a few minutes about that. You see it here in the Amplified Translation again. To be made acceptable, to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with Him. To be righteous is to have right standing with God. Another way to say that is to be in right relationship with God. Now, this is the best news you've heard all day. That you can have a friendship and a fellowship and a relationship with God. Now, how did that happen? Did you notice in these verses we are reading here in 2 Corinthians 5, how many times we heard the word reconciled? 
that God was in Christ reconciling us to him. You also see it in the book of Romans chapter five. Don't turn there. We'll put it on the screen. Verse 10 says, for when we were enemies, did you know that? We used to be enemies with God. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. This is three times in just a couple of verses, not to mention the number of times he said it in 2 Corinthians 5. It is a major theme throughout the New Testament, this reconciliation. We've been reconciled. We've been reconciled. What does this word mean? Well, it's an interesting word because it's got two main uses. Or I could say it like this. It gets used in two very different and distinct arenas. One, the word reconciled is used in a financial sense. Have you noticed that before? Where you've got, say you've got in a company, you've got a ledger of receipts or you've got a ledger of expenditures and somebody's making notes on that ledger and they get to the end and they've got a total and this is what I'm supposed to have in the account. But then they go to the bank and the account balance they have is something different. Have you ever experienced this before? I don't know if anybody does this anymore, but does anybody remember checks? You used to write checks. Who still writes checks every now and then? I still write a few checks, mostly to church. Uh, but used to, and they taught us to do this in high school. Do you remember when you would go to the back of that checkbook and you'd write, you'd have to write by hand. Do you remember how long it took at the grocery store when you got behind somebody who was writing a check? Oh, dear Lord, they're writing a check. So not only they're writing the check, they've got to go back to that ledger and write down exactly what they spent, exactly where it went, and then they get that new total. And, and they taught us in school, I'm sure some of you did this too, you go through the week or even the whole month, and then you add up everything that's in the back of the checkbook that says, okay, you've got this much money in the bank. But then when you check the actual bank account, if they're off, what needs to be happening here? What, what, what do you need to do? You need to reconcile these accounts. Why? Something's off. There's distance between this number and that number. Something's off. Somewhere a mistake has been made. And guess whose fault it was like 9.9 times out of 10? The guy who was writing down numbers in the back of these, like, is that a six or a G? What am I doing here? You can't figure. Mistakes have been made, and because of that, you've got discrepancies in the account. One says one thing. The other says another. They need to be reconciled. What in the world does that have to do with us and God? Well, the other main place that the word reconciled is used is in relationship. It's used over here in this financial arena, but it's also used in the arena of relationships. When something's off, when a mistake's been made by somebody, and it creates distance. Can you see the similarities here? Something's not the same that should be. Something's off, and because it's off, there's space, there's distance. And what happened between God and man, there was space that got put between us. And we're not talking about a space or a difference of a few dollars. 
we are talking about a breach so wide, so cavernous, that it seemed impossible that that could ever be mended. There was so much space and so much distance between us and him that we had lost all friendship. We had lost all fellowship. Now, it breaks our heart to think about it, but God created man in the first place for this one reason, friendship, fellowship. And the man he created to fellowship with went on and opened the door to sin, and with sin came death. Now, we started to mention something last week, and I think I didn't quite get to it, but our understanding of death hasn't been the same as God's. Because God told Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of this fruit, what's going to happen? You shall surely die. Now, our concept, naturally speaking, of death is cessation, right? When we think of death, we think there used to be a beating heart and now it stopped. There used to be a flow of blood, now it's dried up. There used to be life and animation, but because of death, that, that body falls lifeless to the ground. That's death. The only problem is, Adam and Eve didn't fall lifeless to the ground the day they ate the fruit. They, their heart didn't stop beating. So did they die? Well, God said, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there must be some difference between a natural understanding of death and a spiritual understanding of death. Death in the natural is cessation. Death in the spiritual is separation. Are you following me? Is this okay? Death in the natural is cessation. The body stops and falls to the ground. That's not what happens in the spirit. Now, I don't know what all hit Adam and Eve in the moment where they sinned. And I don't know what maybe hit them like a ton of bricks later. But what occurred was not the cessation of a beating heart. It was the separation that caused a broken heart. And that is death. Separation is death. And we even know this to a certain extent in the natural. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 15, you have to abide in me just like the branch abides in the vine because the branch can't produce anything of itself. What is he saying? The moment you snap off a branch from the vine, how much life does that vine have to produce anything? None. Why? Because now there's separation. They got to stay connected. Death is separation. Now, this is what's such good news. And this is why I'm so excited today to tell you what's right with you. That friendship, that fellowship has been restored. We have been reconciled. The word itself literally means uh, reconciliation. It means to restore friendship to restore fellowship or harmony. It means to settle or resolve differences. We had some major differences between us and God. And it created some major space between us. But you want to know what he did? He went ahead and reconciled us
to him. Not him to us, us to him. Just like those two accounts, you've got one that says one thing and another that says something else. Well, one has to be reconciled to the other. But God reconciled us to him. In other words, he brought us up. Our account was very lacking. Our account was deathly low. You know what he did? In Jesus, he brought us up. And he reconciled us and restored to us that fellowship, that friendship. It's like God was looking at us and saying, you want to be friends again? Can we be friends? You know exactly what I'm talking about. I bet you everybody in here can think of somebody you used to be close to. And for whatever reason, there's space between you now. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to go through periods of time because of disagreement or strife or being at odds with each other. You know what it's like to sit five feet away from somebody and feel like you're on the other side of the planet. You know what that's like. We've all been through that. To be close physically, but in your heart. To be somewhere else entirely. That distance. And God was not good with the distance. He wanted to be friends again. Isn't that sweet? Can we be friends again? I'm sorry, you're going to have to bear with me. I just feel like I've been on the verge of just tears all for the last, I don't know, 24 hours about this. It's my father. He finally came and said, I miss you. I miss talking. And I miss hearing from you. This is what he said to man. I miss you. I want to be friends again. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll reconcile you to me. And instead of holding anything against you, I'm going to let it go. So here's what I'm going to do. I've got my one and only son. And I'm going to offer him up as the payment, the difference between our ledgers. And what that payment will do will bring you up and we'll be good again. And we can fellowship like we did back in the garden with nothing between us. Can we be friends again? Can you hear him saying that to you this morning? Can we be friends? What's your answer in if and when God Almighty looks at you and says, can we be friends? What do you say? Yes, yes, and yes, please. This is righteousness. It's friendship with him. It's relationship restored. So this is so basic, church, but things that we've got to go over. Don't turn there, but listen to this out of the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It's talking to us about how. How do we go about being friends with God? He, he talks about the elementary principles of Christ. You know what we're going over right now? This is as basic as it gets. 
If we don't have this foundation, nothing else works. What foundation? I am, say it with me, the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay? Well, how? How did you become that way? Well, like last week, we said we were reborn this way. When you accepted Jesus into your life and you became a new creation, old things passed away, all things became new. You were reborn righteous. Here you see further how we became this way. He talks about the elementary principles of Christ. He talks about going on from that. But look, he says in this verse that he talks about the foundation. Go, go to the next part of this verse for me. The foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. These are the basics right here. A friendship with God can be had, can be restored, you can be reconciled through these two things right here. Let me kind of work them backwards for you. It takes faith. It takes faith. We already know that we're not made righteous by our own works, but made righteous by faith. Again, don't turn there, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 9, talking about Abraham, he says, this blessedness, does it come on the circumcised only or on the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Now, uh, he goes on and says in verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed. See, God's not holding sin against us. He's holding righteousness to us. It was not written for his sake alone that righteousness was imputed to him, but also for us. It, what it, righteousness shall be imputed to us who believe. This is how we enter into this right friendship and relationship with God. It's not through our works. It's not through checking off a bunch of items on a list. It's through faith, through faith. And the Bible says about this man, Abraham, in James chapter two, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Can you see there the connection between righteousness and friendship with God? But let me just touch on this in the last couple of minutes that we have. That verse in Hebrews chapter 6 talked about the foundational principles, the elementary principles of Christ. Faith is a foundational principle in our friendship and relationship with God. There is no friendship, there is no fellowship with God apart from faith. Why? Because you can't see Him. You can't see Him, you can't touch Him, you can't feel Him, you can't contact Him with your head or with your five physical senses. It requires faith. You don't trust God with your brain, you trust Him with your heart. It requires faith. And guess what? He loves that. As a matter of fact, the more faith it requires of you, the happier He is with it. Because without faith... It's impossible to please him. That's why Abraham is our example. That's why the Spirit of God had to go all the way back in time 
to when there was a friendship that man had with God and there was no law between them. There was no righteous requirement of a law between them. All there was between that man and God was that man's faith in God and God's love for him. That was it. That was the only thing between them. And that's why the Spirit of God says to us, do it like that. Abraham, here's a good example. He believed God, and because of that, he was friends with God. You want to be friends with God? Believe him. Take him at his word. Don't live by what you see. Don't live by what you feel. Live by what you believe, and you can be besties with God. You guys can have a solid friendship. This is foundational. It does not get more foundational than this. But faith is not the only thing he mentioned. What else did he say? Repentance from dead works. Repentance. In the book of Acts, I want you to look at a verse with me. I got a lot of scripture for you, so just if you want to, close your Bible and just listen. We'll put them on the screen. But the Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 3, let me paint the picture here. Peter and John were going up to the temple about the ninth hour to pray. And there was a man that had been laid there who was lame from his mother's womb. And he's begging alms from them. You know the story. Peter looked at him and said, I left my wallet at home. Silver and gold, I don't have any on me right now. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. He reached down, took that dude by his hand, jerked him up. Immediately, the Bible says, his feet and ankle bones received strength. He went walking and leaping and praising God. And it draws a crowd of people because he's been laying there for like the last 40 years. And everybody starts coming up to see what's going on. And the spirit of God hit Peter and he began to preach and he began to preach with boldness and with confidence. And he starts preaching about Jesus. He said, y'all know Jesus, don't you? He's the one you crucified. It takes some boldness to talk like this. And I'm going to save this for another week. But the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Here's a man made right with God. And out of this righteous man comes this fiery, bold message. And he starts telling them about Jesus, whom they crucified, who God raised again. And I want you to see what he said in the middle of this bold message he's preaching. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he shouts out, repent. Come on, it takes some boldness to tell a big crowd of people, y'all need to repent. He said, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So God won't hold your sins against you. How did that happen? God not holding your sins against you happened when you repented. It's hard to be friends with somebody who won't let stuff go. Is it not? It's hard to be friends with somebody who keeps bringing junk up. It is difficult to build a thriving friendship and fellowship with somebody who's always like, remember that thing you did 12 years ago? Well, no, I'd kind of forgotten until you brought it up. It's impossible to build a friendship with somebody who won't let stuff go. This is why God is not imputing your sin and my sin 
against us, holding it against us. He wants friendship, but it doesn't just happen. There's a requirement. We've already talked about the faith requirement. What's this other one? Repent. Repentance is required. Why? Because repentance restores relationship. Repentance restores relationship. And that's what Peter shouted out. Repent. Why? So you can be converted. You know what converted is, right? Changed. Does that sound like any man who's in Christ is a new creation? Was there some conversion that took place? What is a convertible? It's a car that changes. <laughs> it's one car one minute, and then you put the top down, and now it's not something else. Why? It was converted. It's a change that took place. And Peter said, if you want change, if you want your sins to be not just covered, washed away, blotted out, it starts with repentance. If repentance wasn't required, then everybody would be saved. Then what Jesus did would come on everybody apart from their faith. And I know sometimes we wish God had done it that way. But faith is required. Which means repentance is required. Because to repent... I was asking the Lord about this, and this is what he gave me. Repentance is just honesty. People want to fuss. Have you noticed this? Well, we're under grace, so we don't repent anymore. Mm, you may want to check that out. I don't have time, but, the, but Jesus speaks in the book of Revelation. Well, I do have time. Revelation chapter 2. Here's a question. Does a Christian need to repent? Revelation chapter 2 says in verse 1, this is Jesus speaking to the angel. Some translations say the messenger. Uh, scholars believe he's speaking to the pastor of this church and to the church as a whole. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear with those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have preserved and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. So who's he talking to? An unbelieving sinner? No. This is the head of the church in, at Ephesus, the Ephesian church. This is to the church at Ephesus, the biggest church in the known world. And he goes through the things they've got right, the things they're doing good. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know what you've done. I know your stand of faith that you've taken. 
And he's, in a sense, applauding them for these things. But he said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. So what do you do about that? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. Do Christians need to repent? He's writing to a whole church and the shepherd of that church. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now what is it they are repenting of? Leaving their first love. They're repenting of letting something get between them and their friendship with God. Yeah, I know you're doing a bunch of good stuff. I know you're doing a bunch of right stuff. And I know you're doing it for me and that's good. But remember when we used to just talk? Remember when we would just fellowship with each other? You've left that. And there's a lot of people, you hear it now. Christians, we're the righteousness of God. We don't need to repent. He just told the whole church, repent. Repent. He said the same thing to another church in the very next chapter. I'm telling you, repent. Repentance restores relationship. And what we want is not distance between us and Him. We want intimacy. We want closeness. Especially after everything He's done to reconcile us, to bring us back up, and to restore us to right fellowship with Him. We don't want anything getting between us and Him. Now where He's concerned, nothing can separate you from the love of God. But do you remember the day that Peter met Jesus? And I won't go through the whole story, but he told, Jesus told Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. And Peter said, well, you know, we fished all night and didn't catch anything, but that's your word. We'll give it a shot. He goes out there. They let down their net. They pull in this net breaking boat sinking load of fish. This miracle happens right in front of Peter. And you know what he does? Instead of lifting up his hands in praise and thanks and say, wow, what a man of God this must be. Oh, this is the son of God. You know what he does? He falls to his knees and says, get away from me. Now, if they ain't mixed up, I don't know what is. This man just filled your boat with fish. Get away from me. Get away from me. Depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Now, as far as God's concerned, nothing's ever going to separate him from us. But there are things that try to come and separate you from him. We'll talk more about this as the Lord leads us. But repentance is a gift. It's the gift of coming back into right fellowship with him. Now, nothing you can do from the time you're born again till now can, can make you, you, you and I don't go back and forth, righteous, unrighteous, righteous, unrighteous. But the Bible does say, confess your sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and 
cleanse you of all what? Unrighteousness. We're living in this world. And how many of you would be honest enough and raise a hand and say, yeah, I got born again a while back, but I've made a mistake or two since then. Yeah, we all have. What happened? Um, you, you got a little unrighteousness on you. I'm not saying you are unrighteous, but you got a little something. You ever been eating a hot dog and you look down and there's this lovely streak of red and yellow? I heard, I heard all the time back there. Thank you, brother. What happened? You got a little something on you. Well, don't set the shirt on fire. You know what I mean? You don't need to be condemned. Go get it off, right? When you miss it, when we sin, you didn't lose your righteousness. He gave you the gift of repentance, which is just honesty. And he said, all you have to do is confess it. And, and people have made a big deal about what that means. The word confess just means say the same thing. That's all it means. So when you confess a sin, you're going, oh, God, hey, I need to talk to you real quick. Um, this thing I did, you call that sin. So I'm going to say the same thing about it. That sin, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said it, shouldn't have done it. You call it sin, I call it sin. I'm not going to fuss with you about it. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm going to be honest with you because intimacy is built on honesty. And without honesty, we can't have intimacy. And what I want more than anything is intimacy with you. So I'm not going to put a wall up between us of fakeness and falseness and try to, try to hide something from you. Uh, sin, sin, did it. Don't want to do it. Asking for your help with it. It's honesty. Honesty. You can't have intimacy without honesty. Repentance restores relationship. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember... You are always welcome here in the House of Faith.